Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And whoa, just getting our breath back from what was a fun and wild last week. What a show. Lana McLaughlin's debut, Carl Nassib getting it done on Monday night, Fallon Fox was here, Katie Montgomery was here. It was a high energy, fun, and positive show. And this week, right back in the scrum again, thanks to certain people in Texas, like their governor, Greg Abbott. It's now day three of a 30-day special session where the Lone Star State continues its transformation into the Republic of Gilead. Tuesday was the third hearing, committee hearing, for a ban on transgender students being able to participate in school sports. We're, we're still talking about this. The bill advanced advance to a floor debate. And if this version of the bill passed, there's been so many, there's been 49 bills in the state of Texas in the last year that directly target transgender people, trans youth in particular. If this particular one called Senate Bill 3, these bills have so many names. If it passes, it would essentially continue to build future MacBeg scenarios as if Texas didn't learn from the original MacBeg scenario. Specifically, Senate Bill 3 um, changes the UIL rules regarding birth certificate or the uh, legitimate birth certificate to be used for determining kids how they uh, play in sports. Uh, it will be the birth certificate at birth or near birth with the specific biological sex of that child that was born with. So it is based on chromosome DNA and those factors, and it'll be that birth certificate, not an amended or um, replacement of a birth certificate that will be used to determine the um, eligibility to play on a team. The voice you just heard is State Senator Charles Perry, Republican out of Lubbock, the author of this and a lot of other legislation. He's been the spear carrier for a lot of this. Uh, and you probably heard, and you probably remember. You heard a lot of his voice during the marathon session back in August that lasted well at past sunrise the following day. But unlike that session, where a number of people in opposition came out to speak, hundreds of them, a broad-based coalition of activists, family, and educators, and trans youth largely boycotted this hearing except for a few designated speakers. In the words of Texas activist Ash Hall, this one was a bridge too far. Students, kids have been treated with disrespect, um, misgendered in particular by the author of the bill, um, sometimes interrupted or talked over or abruptly cut off. We've also seen this in particular with youth of color, so that was not taken well in the community. Parents were also somewhat traumatized when they were asked questions about their children's genitalia or uh, spoken to as if they didn't understand their kids or as if they were abusing their children. Um, so all of those factors have led to the community choosing instead to protest right outside of this hearing instead of participating in it. 
and I think it should be made clear that honestly this committee is missing out on very valuable input because of that and I hope that at some point um, this particular body will see fit to perhaps get some training done on how to treat the trans community and our allies. Now we're going to have and a more extensive look at this later on in the podcast as a look of how myth making public policy is a bad idea. Now in the athlete speaking out department today, more than 500 women in sport have signed on to an amicus brief to the U S Supreme court to protect abortion rights in a case involving Mississippi's proposed law that would ban the procedure after 15 weeks regardless of circumstances. The signees range from a high number of competing collegiate athletes to the memberships of the WNBA and NWSL Players Associations. 26 Olympians and 73 pro athletes directly signed their name to it, and some of the names that stood out included O.L. Reign and U.S. Women's National Team soccer star Megan Rapino, Phoenix Mercury standout Diana Taurasi, and Seattle Storm floor leader Sue Bird. Also signing U.S. water polo gold medalist Ashley Johnson, who's also the first African-American woman to earn a place on Team USA water polo. The brief states that protection of full health care and reproductive rights have been instrumental to the growth of women's sport. And those rights have been protected since 1973, Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision. Rapino said in a statement, Quote, as women athletes and people in sports, we must have the power to make important decisions about our own bodies and exert control over our reproductive lives. This ruling would be infuriating and un-American. Also this week, the WNBA's 25th season now heads into the playoff phase, round one single elimination games on Thursday. The New York Liberty will meet the Phoenix Mercury in Phoenix. Dallas will travel to Chicago as the Wings take on the sky. From there, the survivors head to the second round. Lower remaining seed takes on the Minnesota Lynx. Higher remaining seed will take on the defending WNBA champion Seattle Storm. From there, the survivors will head to the finals to meet either the Connecticut Sun or the Las Vegas Aces. Now, the Sun have been the hot team in this league. They haven't lost a game since July. They've won 14 in a row. Also, congrats to head coach Kurt Miller, coach of the month. And congrats to John Kill Jones, the best player in the WNBA that you don't know about yet. But in these playoffs, you just might. She was player of the month in September. Now, one thing to note, seven of the eight surviving teams have at least one publicly out LGBTQ player on it. Now, some people are going to say, well, Carly, why do you feel the need to mention that? Why does it matter? We heard all that during the Olympics and Paralympics, blah, blah, blah. Once again, for the people who claim not to know, it matters because in the time when you still have legislators like those in Texas right now putting LGBTQ rights up for debate and dismissal, and when you have LGBTQ youth being discouraged and locked out of sports, when we are still having the same conversations about inclusion over and over and over again, every player who's out on the field being who they are and playing the game makes a tangible difference and makes our sporting spaces better. And it also doesn't hurt that among the 23 known out players who will be contesting these upcoming playoffs, 
A good number of them are among the statistical leaders in the league this year. Eight of them brought home Olympic hardware this year in both three-on-three and five-on-five competition, and at least two of them have spots waiting for them in both Knoxville and Springfield, the Hall of Fames. And you're hearing that noise, which means we have to take a break, give love to the sponsors, but when we return to the transporter room, it's a spotlight show this week. We're going to look at what's happening with this Texas anti-trans bill through the eyes of a myth about sport and transgender people. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and once in a while I like doing what I call a spotlight show, where we really dig underneath the derma and get to the guts of an issue. And the issue for examination this week surrounds how myth is used as an instrument of making policy. We've had quite a year of inclusion in sports, and trans people have been a part of it. In late July, a soccer player from Canada, trans and non-binary, stepped on the pitch during the Olympic tournament. Nearly two weeks later, Quinn had a gold medal around their neck. August 2nd, a woman weightlifter from New Zealand stepped into the arena, stepped on that platform, and took the opportunity she spent four years earning. She didn't win. She finished last. It didn't matter. Laurel Hubbard became the first transgender woman out and proud to compete in an individual Olympic event. Then, September 10th, another woman steps into a cage in Miami as part of the Combate Global card that night. Alana McLaughlin stepping in and took on another fighter, Celine Provost, both of them making their MMA debut. To those who are just stuck in their transphobia, verily I say unto you, you missed a really good fight. They missed Provost, taller and with a reach advantage, connecting it seemed from orbit. They missed McLaughlin, digging deep, showing her chin, making her plan work. If you were so stuck in transphobia, you missed Burt Sugar 101, Styles Make Fights. And one style, this case McLaughlin's, prevailed over the other style. McLaughlin got the win and became the first transgender woman to step in the MMA arena and win since Fallon Fox won her last fight seven years ago. But there were some who just had something to say no matter how much of a farce it was, including former UFC champion Jake Shields, who did something I thought was quite unbecoming. Basically decided, let's put out before and after pictures of Alana on social media in an attempt to embarrass her and belittle her. Instead, those pictures showed definitively what transition does and what it entails, and it was the biggest self-own ever. But after further study, we find that Shields is very much a champion at the cell phone. Oh, yeah. 
Have you seen the comments section on that thread? Oh, oh my uh, gosh. Oh. oh, people people were giving him the business. Because oh, I think that's the juxtap- statement. <laughs> yeah, because of the juxtaposition of the photo of her uh, pre-transition and, you know, after transition. Um, really wild stuff because as you when you when you see when you sit there and you look at the photo you can tell you can tell that she's smaller you can tell the the fat displacements on her body you can just tell that you know she's a totally different person you know than she was before so i don't know what the point of that even bringing that up was other than to self-own <laughs> but what we heard with mclaughlin's win rose up again Tuesday in a state Senate hearing in Texas over yet another attempt at a transgender student sports ban. One of 49 pieces of legislation, as we said earlier, that are directly targeted at transgender people, young people especially. And much of the talk sets around the concept of perceived advantage. We've heard it before. But There's also a lot of what I call minority report thinking. Some of these people believe that the 2002 movie starring Tom Cruise is actually a documentary. You you probably remember the film. If you you haven't seen it, the basic story is there are these precognitive people who can see the future, who can track a possible crime, in this case a murder, before it happens. And based on these tips, the police storm in and arrest somebody before they actually committed the crime or even thought about committing the crime. A lot of questions in regards to free will, police powers, and etc. within the movie. I, If you're really interested, watch the movie. It'll give you a lot of framework into some of the thinking here. There is a belief that even though by every met- metric in every sport, by every statistic, the map, that noted activist Chris Mosier shows that that basically shows a blank screen where all the places where trans women have dominated in sports are in color and you find nothing there. That map time and time again is blank. But these people believe that it's full already. And if it isn't full yet, it will be people like Lubbock state Senator Charles Perry. You acknowledge the competitiveness in high school sports in Texas. And I can extend that into college and into professional sports. If it manifests itself, and we had a hearing on this earlier, that you could wake up where literally female biological athletes are not considered for teams going forward because of those. Now, Senator Perry has been the spear carrier for a lot of these bills. You've probably heard his voice a few times on this podcast. And once again, If you want to hear the other hearings, because we've covered the two prior hearings to this one, we're going to put the links below this one for this podcast this week. There is a belief among many of the people in that committee and and perhaps quite a few legislators in Texas that people are going to transition so so that they can win medals or win scholarships or that their high schools can win games. They really believe this stuff. They believe that in high schools all across Texas, there is a movement to turn those high schools into a version of Southern Methodist football under Ron Meyer. 
we make laws for bad actors. You're, not, you're going to take offense to the term bad actor. But what do you do with the 14, 15-year-old biological male that has not really had any conversations regarding trans, has decided that today they feel like they want to be trans and they want to go to the female. And they have a doctor, and we know that doctors are susceptible to just everything that's humanity too. And he goes and says, I feel like I need to be a woman. And that process is engaged. And we all recognize that jurisdictions of courts can be shocked. And there's an order put in place to where that child's birth certificate now can be modified at the state level. Now this kid, remind you, hasn't had therapy, hasn't started hormone therapy, has not had any surgical procedures, clearly has biological advantages, and shows up in the female sports activity and runs the gamut, be it whatever sport. Yes, you heard that right. Senator Perry believes that some kid's going to transition strictly to win a ball game. Thankfully, there were members of the reality-based community, such as Equality Texas Chair Holt Lackey, present to set the senator straight. The idea that someone would just decide today that they're a female is, is not realistic in terms of what goes into uh, transitioning, what goes into this decision. And it's not, you know, someone who is changing their birth certificate is making a you know, for all purposes in their life decision. It's not a, you know, it is a ser and not an a star, to, to put it in Spanish 101 terms. It is who they are. And and for that student, then then I would say that, you know, there are, there are wide, uh, you know, biological differences among cisgender men, cisgender women, cisgender, or transgender men, transgender women, that, um, you know, that those, differences in all of our bodies come into play every time anyone steps on an athletic field. A different example of how fiction is being sold as fact comes from Mary Castle. Now, she's the senior policy advisor for a group called Texas Values. Now, be mindful of the Carly rule on values groups as you listen to this. Remember, if a group says that they're supporting family values, Understand that unless your family is white, straight, and Christian, your family is not valued by them. Here's what Ms. Castle had to say about the IOC stance on these issues. It's very important to note that this issue of biological males competing in female sports was an issue at the Olympics with Laurel Hubbard, who was a male who competed in the female weightlifting competition. And after she competed, the IOC Olympic Committee is actually reconsidering their uh, testosterone threshold just because of Laura's uh, com competition in the Olympics. That's a nice story there, ma'am. But here's what the IOC's top person on these issues actually said. There are no guidelines, but there's the scientific consensus, and they're working on a framework to help IFs with that difficult decision of how to um, ensure inclusivity while ensuring also fairness. And as you all know, there is a, a lot of disagreement across the whole world of sport and beyond on this issue of eligibility. Everyone agrees 
transgender women are women, but it's a matter of eligibility for sport um, and, and particular events. And it really has to be very sport specific. Um, so it is up to each sport, in each discipline even, um, as to exactly what the, uh, the, the rules for participation uh, and eligibility are. It seems the IOC's top person on the issue is repudiating Ms. Castle's claim. Not surprising. Remember, the anti-trans forces, especially the Christian dominionist crowd, depend on two things. Hysteria and ignorance. To all those who are for exclusion, especially Senator Perry, who really believes that every high school is all of a sudden going to go out and recruit a bunch of boys and force them to transition, or that, or that a bunch of high school boys in mass are going to all of a sudden decide, oh, I can transition and maybe get a scholarship or transition and maybe win a state championship. Six things you need to understand. Number one, nobody's transitioning for sporting glory. And I say that as a person who is trans, who is a sports journalist, and who competes in sport. If you really believe that someone is going to go to those lengths to win a medal or win your local 10K or win an endorsement, whatever it is, you truly don't understand transgender people. You truly don't understand the mind of athletes. You don't understand the dynamics of transition or of athletics. And based on what I've heard from a lot of you, in fact, from just about all of you, you revel in your level of ignorance. Number two, take it from someone who is an expert because I live this all of this. Estrogen is a life-enhancing substance. It's not a performance-enhancing one. HRT is not new. It's not experimental. It's none of those things. Number three, there's at least one of you back there saying, well, transgender men aren't invading sport. They're, where are the transgender men? Why aren't they dominant? Blah, 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 blah. Transgender men don't sell the agenda you're trying to sell. So stop being disingenuous there. But let's hear a voice of one young transgender man who played high school sports in Texas. And I'm going to play all of what this young man named Eli McNeely had to say. It's important for you to hear it. I have one question for y'all before I start. Why in the hell are y'all doing this? There is no point. I am a student athlete, been for since middle school. Came out sophomore or freshman year. I did wrestling, I did marching band. This whole bill is in UIL rules. Do y'all even take time to look at the rules? I have been, I've had to submit my medical records to UIL to wrestle because of my testosterone level. Imagine the harassment I had to have walking into the girls' locker room. I have had permanent injuries because I am trans and was on the girls' team. I have had matches thrown in my face, and I have lost and purposely injured. I still suffer from those injuries to this day. But there is only one question. Why? I would like an answer to that.
this bill is really hurtful, I've almost committed suicide because of the bullying that I have had in sports. Um, I mean, you wouldn't think my story was something worth to tell, but it really is. Um, even the harassment from coaches. Why my, I had to submit my medical records, my blood work, my testosterone level. Half of the girls that I had to wrestle were bigger than me. I have no physical advantage against anybody. Trans people don't. Trans kids don't. High school sports is a part of being in school. Sports is the main thing. That's the only reason I graduated high school and uh, actually survived. The teamwork, the things that everybody's talking about, it is part of it. But y'all don't look at the, the harm that the sports and this bill is causing to all of us. Um, I mean, I shouldn't even have to be here, graduated from high school, fighting for kids to play. Number four. Let's talk about what this should be about, but you know it's not about. And activist Gordon Carmona did a good job of that. Why are we really here? We, are, the bill authors claiming to want to protect girls, which is a reasonable goal. However, it's not protecting all girls. It's only protecting cisgender girls by attacking transgender girls who deserve the dignity and respect for who they are. Um, if this bill really was supposed to protect girls, it would allocate money to better um, support girls' sports teams, uh, safety equipment and training and stuff. Um, girls have a harder time um, dealing with sexual predators and uh, certain athletic teams. Um, but there's no instance in this bill that's going to protect them from any harm that's actually going to harm girls. This is only here to attack transgender kids. Number five, I got a name for you. Recently read this name. A 16-year-old kid named Toby Yandel. Kid lives in Tennessee. And an object lesson of what really happens when transphobia becomes public policy. Last week, this kid was at his high school just trying to use the bathroom, went to the boys' bathroom, as he should. It's boy, after all. And he got jumped by a bunch of kids, all yelling transphobic slurs as they were beating this kid up. And from the reportage of this, so far, the school is doing nothing about it. And in fact, they're trying to say that this young kid who just went to use the bathroom was at fault for getting beat up. If you want to know more about this story, I have two articles that I'm going to post below in this thread. Transphobia's public policy. That can get people hurt and can possibly get people killed. And number six, a personal anecdote. Because as I've said earlier, I'm not just talking about this, I live this. And I put my thoughts down on paper and I wrote a poem about this about a year ago. It's called Why Transition. It's a poem that I performed in public a few times. But it gets underneath the derma of why I transition and why this idea that someone transitions strictly to win a ball game is a farce and it's insulting. This is my newest. It's called why transition? Psst. 
It wasn't for some metal. I didn't transition to be recruited by Chino Ariema. I'm too short and too old. I didn't transition to get in the octagon. It's MMA. A girl can get hurt in there. I didn't transition to win my age group at the local 10K. My training partners win those anyway. I didn't transition to relive glories I never had. Do you really think this is a game? Do you really think I came out to the goal line stand of family who blurred the scrimmage line of identity and orientation? I have to check, check, check and audible over their noise of their ignorance and the chords of, oh, you're just gay. They'd be accurate, just not the way they say. Yeah, I take lasers to the chin, needles to the thigh, transphobia to the head and gut to finish high and maybe surprise and PR some race where the day was hot but the cider was so chill. Put me in endo, I'm ready to play. Just me and my therapist and I'm here to say it's me, fears, anxiety, and dysphoria. Yeah, that's a hell of a relay team. It could smash some records, zero to tears, faster than you can say you same bolt. But there's the jolt. I didn't transition to break a tape. I transitioned to stop being broken. I didn't transition to be the first pick. I transitioned because I picked me first. I didn't transition to be number one. I transitioned so I wouldn't be one of the four of ten who tried to meet their end by their own hand. I didn't transition to dominate. I transitioned to celebrate. Celebrate a victory of my choosing, a triumph of my truth. No championship ring, no trophy, no gold medal, but me at the top of the podium of a life I will not apologize for saving. So yeah, I came to play, but I'm not playing. I came to race, but I already won the hardest race. I'm going to step in the box, take my cut, bat, meatball, going, going, gone. I'm gonna run, run like the wind to be free for the first time. That's why I transitioned. And that's the transporter room for this week. And if you have something you'd like to see or something you want to say about what we do here at this podcast, please leave a message on, on our Twitter. Leave a message on our Facebook page because Everything I do here at the Transporter Room, I do for you, the people who support us. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper. Study as she goes. I'll catch you next week.